Naked ABCs, where we discuss alphabetically. Wait, you and I have been through this before. Uh, anyway, we discuss the songs of our great providers, the Bare Naked Ladies. It's been a week, so it seems like it's time to do it again. Where does the time go? Uh, tonight, I am joined by. Is that us? Oh, uh, my name. Oh, oh crap. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I got so uh, hooked up in in that beautiful intro. I just yeah. forgot which one of us was me. I was gonna say he's the father. I'm the son. Uh, and Tracy's <laughs> the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Well, my name. I, I guess I'm the Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah. Well, my name's Justin Tucker. I'm Andrew Bonia. Oh no! Now, guys. No, Hawthorne. Hawthorne. As as your audio oh. narrows, so mine grows wider, and my ears are hurting, so I can't hear anything. <laughs> So I'm glad to have you guys back, but I just want to let you know I never said that I like you the most. That's fair. Uh, thanks, I guess. You could have, though. <laughs> I could have. I, I guess I could have done that. You're my favorite Canadians. How about that? Hey. That's, that's nice. That's pretty good. Go with that? All right. Um, <laughs> so tonight we are here to talk about the song Great Provider. My whole life, nothing more. It is the last song on Maybe You Should Drive from 1994. You can also find it on the Spotify list of a live version from Hershey Park in 2004. And it is also, and we'll get to this later on, mm-hmm. a bathroom session song. And yeah. it was on Buck Naked, wasn't it? Oh, ooh, now you're testing me. Now you're oh, checking it. Hold on. Great Provider is a classic. This is one of their original tunes. Like, it's weird to think because maybe You Should Drive sounds so. It's it's one of the perfect sophomore albums. It it's it's got just enough more maturity over Gordon, uh, and and it really feels. I don't know. It's an autumnal album. It's great. Nobody here is going to argue that it's a it's not a good album. But uh, what's fascinating about it is a lot of those songs were written before Gordon. <laughs> And uh, and that always shocks me when I find that out. Like, oh, that you know, like you can really see how they've learned their craft. Like, oh no, they wrote that ages before. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. It was so. It was not on the first version of Buck Naked, which of course would make sense because the first version was just Stephen and Ed before uh, Jim came in. Um, actually, Jim and Andy didn't come in until. Lunch, bare naked lunch, but great provider was still around and it was given credit to Ed Robertson. Figures Jim and Andy just don't come in until lunch is there. <laughs> Figures. The reason I find that interesting is that it is given credit on the album proper to Jim, Steven, and Andy. Well, maybe those guys are credited with their own parts that they added because the original is very stripped down, you know? Oh, and yeah. it's just it's just Ed yeah. and Steve, Steve doing harmony. But yeah. uh, y- you know, and maybe the crediting maybe that they're giving it alphabetically, but Jim is credited first. Alpha B N L. That's that's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, it's the right way to to credit. Oh, wait, I do have it in my notes. So, Great Provider was recorded first after the first Buck Naked tapes were made. So, it appears on the second through the fourth editions of Buck Naked. And then also, again, on Maybe You Should Drive as the formal release. And then 1994, the Jane, it's the B-side of the Jane single. And then Hits from Yesterday and the Day Before... The Buck Naked version appears as an iTunes bonus track for hits from yesterday and the day before. While they had been recorded for the second edition of Buck Naked, when they re-recorded it, Jim was given the writing credit at that point. It's it's very similar to you know the album version, but it's a little more jaunty, I find, and it's just Ed and Steve, so it hasn't quite got that full BNL body yet. Yeah. 
Correct. I was going to say, whenever I go back to the uh, Maybe You Could Drive album, I always think about how it's funny that you just mentioned that some of these songs were written before Gordon. Because every time I hear something like this, I always call it one of Ed's songs. Mm. Because it's one of those ones that's about something, but it's absolutely about nothing. But it's about something so deep that you want to find out what it's about, but then it's not really. I feel the same way about When I Fall. I mean, it sounds so melancholy and beautiful and dramatic, but it's literally about a guy on the side of a building just washing windows. <laughs> yeah, Ed is, is complicated that way because yeah. his songs, are all they always feel deceptively metaphorical. Yes. And, and maybe they're not. Maybe they're just written beautifully. But he also might have a substantially deeper meaning than you're picking up on. And maybe that's, both. And maybe both. And that's the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. So why don't we get to the lyrics first, then? Let's talk about the meaning. What do you guys think that this song means? I'm excited about this. I'm especially excited about what Justin has to say about this, because doing doing some research into this, I was absolutely shocked, because... I'll go first, because I'm going to have less to say, but I think, you know, I came into this thinking exactly what you just said, Justin, that this is a very straightforward song you know it's it's a dude growing up and moving away from his parents didn't have a great relationship with his dad it seems very very straightforward but Mm -hmm. if you google great provider or if you have any background in theology uh like some of us might then (laughs) you're this is not the first thing that comes up the first thing that comes up is jesus and the loaves and the fishes as the great provider. And then you suddenly realize that this entire song is biblical illusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So over to you, Jay. Wait, you didn't, you didn't get that with the, with the whole line of the father, son, and the Holy ghost, but that's a, on its, on its <laughs> face, that's a single line. And, and you're like, okay, that's great. You know, he's talking about his father and stuff like that. But just like Justin said, like this could be just a song that's using biblical allegory to talk about a damaged relationship with somebody and his father. It could be not about parents at all and talking about somebody perhaps losing their faith or wrestling with faith or wrestling with God. Or it could be somewhere in between those things. Yep. I went with the first one first. It was kind of nail on the head and of course if i can jump in i mean even just going Mm -hmm. down to the idea of the toxic masculine the stereotypical you know gosh how many memes can you see in one day of boomers versus millennials i'm Uh, sticking with gen x on that one (laughs) but yeah no no gen x is in the middle we're all right (laughs) but no just even just looking at the the stereotypical just representation of small town kid finally leaving and the and all that but then my gosh, you could go from the point of view that this could be Adam talking to God in the garden because uh, you and I have, have had lots of, you know... Uh, you and I have been through this before. Yes. I, you, I owe you my whole life, nothing more. Yeah. So if you go through the Adam side of things, it's the idea that there is no Holy Ghost really yet because that's not mentioned until the New Testament. But, 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 no. But there's debate that the Trinity was already in place uh, as, as if he had not his own two hands in, in making creation. That's right. And the idea that yeah. the creator was always referred to as the we, let us make them in our image. And the idea of the Sophia, the spirit, which is a feminine, by the way, uh, was on the waters and all this during creation. So I could get into that. But the point is, is that you could see it as an Adam allegory in the sense of the fact that, you know, he's waiting to leave because he's being kicked out. And that's why they're not talking anymore. The idea that we, you know, I'll keep in touch, I promise, you know, but I got to go and do, mm-hmm. I got to go alone now. I turned away from the great provider because he gave me the whole garden to eat from. But now I, his road narrows, meaning like he's, he's focusing now on only humanity instead of all of creation now because he has to watch them leave. And my life grows wider because now I'm going out into the great beyond. So you could almost see from, it. from the garden. That's right. So you can see it as an Adam mm-hmm. allegory. You could totally see this, speaking of another garden, of Jesus talking to God just Mm -hmm. before the cross. Gethsemane. Have you found Jesus yet? I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, so... Before we leave leave Adam, though, I, I really want to go back because I, I, I was totally yeah. on the Jesus train on this and not thinking about Adam. But that also explains the line, where does the time go when it's not around here? Because there was no time within the Garden of Eden. It was not. 
Exactly. Exactly. Like, That's actually an excellent yeah. point. And yeah. the idea of the, because I even said that when I was looking at this, where that chorus, which I love, I love it. The idea that it could be an honest to God question. Like if you go back to the idea of a father and son just having a weird relationship and him leaving, he's never experienced time anywhere else. The idea of like, I don't know how the world works outside of my little town. So where, what happens? Like when, when I leave here, do you stay the same? Does this town stay the same? It made me think about when I left my hometown. Every time I go back, it's not my hometown anymore. They say you can never you can never go home again, and that's true because every time you go back, something's different. Yeah, and it's especially true if there's a giant angel with a fiery sword waiting for you every time you go back <laughs> to kick you out. Yeah, like with a Tony Soprano accent saying "No, <laughs> go away," <laughs> which is what I picture. I just assume uh, if your enforcer is going to be there, you might as well sound like that. Uh, but no, and this, this, so the whole idea of Adam and Eve, Eve would be expected to be there too, but let's just call a spade a spade for the sake of it. Um, him leaving. This is a very male song. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a very masculine song. There's, there's no, I don't think there's any evidence of, of women. Like you mentioned Sophia earlier and Eve yeah. and of course, like this is very father son centric. Well, ex and, but then you got to wonder, well, who's, who's driving? Well, yes. Is it? Well, that's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> well, and I and I half but wonder you, if that so that line like who's the father? You're the father. I'm the son. Who's the Holy Ghost? Like I think that's a couple different things that I thought that could mean there. One, it could be a nice little snide remark in the middle of a fight, like a nice little throw out, like, yeah. "Oh yeah, you're the father. Who's the? I'm the son. Oh yeah, who's the Holy Ghost? Like just the snide little response. Yeah. But also, it could be like so. Like you have the trilogy, trilogy is strong. The the triumvirate is stronger because you have three, each supporting each other. Um, and when there's a weakness on one side, the other side supports it. So if if he's leaving, like it's that kind of feeling of like who's there to be between us now? Like maybe the the mom was in between them before, or the the father's partner. And maybe she's and, dead. Oh, maybe she's dead. But for some reason, that person is gone in the song, and absent. And he's kind of pointing out that absence. And in the, yeah, and in the dad reading, if you're you're going with the straight dad reading, then like getting angry at your dad and saying like he's got a god complex and, and makes a lot of sense, <laughs> right? So that line could really play, like you say, as something very snide and and, and going jerky for a kid to say to his dad. He never actually said so, but I think he made his peace with God. And going along with the idea of like what's between us, what's keeping that connection still going, because he's even talking about like I promise, all right, but I mean that's everybody says that, and you're not really sure if you mean it or not. It's like promising somebody, yeah, we should go to lunch sometime, and then you never see your friends again. Uh, but it's I look at that almost like it's a mixture of things. First thing I thought of was uh, in those old. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have gone to church dances where you have to make room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a while. I remember yeah, those. Yeah, you got to make sure. Yeah, arm's length. You got to make sure there's enough gap between the two of you, that sort of thing. But in a similar way, there was the idea of the Holy Spirit is to communicate between the earthly and the heavenly. So when Jesus was on earth or when Adam was there, the whole, the whole idea, like you go to Moses in the bush, I mean, that was the idea. There was always the Metatron. There was always a voice. So it's this idea that the Holy Spirit was always the thing that was basically, for lack of a better word, the telephone line between the two ends. So right. if, if the mom was, in this case, the go-between, or if she was there before to kind of keep the peace, and she's dead, or she's gone, or, or whatever. Or him moving like out, there's no longer that that buffer between yeah. the two of them, that communication between the two of them, because any communication that's going to happen, probably by phone or letter or whatever, no longer has the buffer of mom. I kind of strayed into a little bit of uh, Jacob in the Old Testament, too. That's the one who wrestles the angel. Mm -hmm. Little bit, but that's a stretch. But no, the two things I went to was the Adam one, where he's being kicked out of the garden, but then to the other side, but where Jesus is literally talking to his dad in the garden, and they're having a mild argument over what's going to happen next. And the same idea, this my, your path for me for lack of a better word i know that's not what the lyric says but yours is narrowing and mine's growing wider meaning i'm about to go and do a whole big new thing and it's about to happen i could see that 
being a yeah. thing too. Well, and, and at great that provider point, is like, supposed to be the the idea is like through Jesus's death, everyone is everyone's sins are then absolved and forgiven. That like everyone now comes through him. That's widening his path in a lot of ways. Yeah, and great provider as a term is originally supposed to be referring to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, like the the loaves from and fishes to feed the five thousand, how many thousand? Well, Lots four thousand, five thousand depends which chapter you're reading. <laughs> yeah, and that would explain lines as well, like you know, we pulled away. I called your name. I don't think you heard. If you're talking yeah. about Gethsemane and yep. Jesus asking yep. to not be crucified and wondering where his dad is and why he's forsaken him, no response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is what I'm talking about with this. This is the kind of Ed song that you could just talk about forever because it means everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like so the first verse is really interesting too. Like if you're going with that whole snide comment, like I said that the, the that last line of the first verse was snide, but that whole ver- first verse is very snide. It, it is the end of an yeah. ar- like they are not parting on good terms. You and I have been through this no. before. I owe you my whole life. Nothing more. I never said that I liked you the most. And then, like, you're the father, I'm the son, and who's the Holy Ghost? Like, those are all very, like, like very slamming lines, very passive-aggressive type lines. And that third line leans into the idea that mom's not in the picture anymore, too, because, guys, I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to be polite here, but... We all love our moms, right? <laughs> yeah, mom usually takes mom. first place. So, sure, what are you saying? Yeah. No, but that's it. Very often when it comes to relationships between kids and parents, the one who is always the one you go to first, ironically, in the sense of a great provider, is mom. But in this case, great provider is that old uh, that old idea of that the dad went out, worked, and was never around. Mom took care of the kids, you know, kind of an yeah. idea. So mom was always there, but dad provided. Right. So it's this idea that I I could see that I don't I never said I liked you the most. So there's there's this subtext almost you could read into it as well that the one I did like the most is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And if you know, with dad as the great provider being like the fifties dad who was at work all the time while mom was the one building a relationship with you, where does the time go when it's not around here becomes very cats in the cradle, you know? Like you had your chance to be dad and now that's gone. So bye, I'm off to college. Right. The whole time you were gone while you weren't here, time still went by. My life occurred. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting, like I think by that point in the song, by the last verse of the song, Great Provider is no longer a slam that it would have been at the very beginning. It still ha- has that meaning of, like, you were the great provider. You were the one that went to went out for the family and provided but weren't here for that reason. But there's that bittersweet, like, saying goodbye and, and in some ways feeling bad that they're about saying goodbye at that point. As I tur- I leave, yeah. I turn and wave to the great provider. He's almost in some ways recognizing what he provided to that family, what what role he he owned for that family. Yeah. Yeah. I even looked at it from the point of view, that whole narrowing of the road. Is it that he was narrow-minded or just old? Like, you know, just stuck in where he was. He, he had mm-hmm. no choice. Because that's another suggestion of the old ways of doing things is that dad had to find a job to raise the family because that was all he could do you know very old-fashioned way of looking at it but then as you were just saying when he got aboard the car and tried to say goodbye it was just he started to think about it i'm i may never see this guy again i better you know i'm grateful for where i am going and then he's too late yeah he says he he says goodbye but it's too late he already he says his name and he doesn't know if his dad heard it which is another reason why I flipped over to the Adam idea, because once they're out of the garden and on their own, not a lot of conversations until Noah. Right. So it's a bit, bit of a wait. <laughs> We're not talking anymore. We're not on talking terms. Yeah. So, but again, it could be just, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Maybe it's just a guy washing windows. <laughs> you know, we, we were talking about the credits for this, and in Buck Naked, this is basically entirely the Ed show. But by the time you get to uh, Maybe You Should Drive, the titular drive, by the way, in this song, I assume. Um, yeah, right? Like, yeah, this is the drive that Maybe You Should Be On. Um, yeah. And, you know, by the time it's credited here, other people have joined in. But the other song that has almost the exact same list of credits that's on uh, Maybe You Should Drive that I I feel is perhaps a thematic twin to this 
is These Apples, mm. which is another Ed song with mm-hmm. biblical allusion that isn't just necessarily about the pure relationship that it's, you know, it's it's portraying a hokey relationship, but it's obviously Apple is going right back to your Garden of Eden uh, yep. imagery. Yep. Neat. Neat. <laughs> what I was going to say before, so Ed, Ed is giving credit for this song, and you might think like Ed had this bad relationship with his dad, but like all the things that I've read, including Paul Meyer's book, you you don't get that feel. Um, you know, it says that Ed actually had no. a pretty good relationship with his dad, but his dad did work a lot, had a lot of long hours, and also also yeah. fought alcoholism. So I mean, there might have been touches and pieces of that in there. Um, and maybe by the time Ed talked to Paul Myers about his book, like he had resolved all those kind of issues. And so it no longer was a big deal to him. So he was like, no, I'm fine with me and my dad. We get along great. But maybe this was part of that travel to getting along great with his dad. If I recall, I think Ed was supposed to have been a pretty rebellious teen in high school. You know, he was kind of the cool kid to Stevens, a bit of a dorky kid at the time. But on the other hand, you know, especially at this period, Bare Naked Ladies, more than a lot of uh, bands writing their own material, were finding characters and writing a song from their point of view, right? Like, yeah. they weren't King of Bedside Manor guys. They weren't washed up guys setting at a box set. And they weren't people named Enid or in love with them. <laughs> but they were, like, finding a person and writing a biography for them musically that... Uh, encapsulated a story of this person's life so i i I don't think that even if ed wrote this on his own i don't think it's necessarily an autobiographical song it doesn't have to be which is different because i often feel steve's song right (laughs) fairly he's always warning you he's gonna be lying why are you with that guy and he's always trying to warn you about it but i i feel like ed especially at this period was like picking and choosing characters and like writing, what is this person's story? What is going on with with yeah. him or her? Like, honest to goodness, this could have been just some kid on the side of the road he drove past. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I yeah, feel. Yeah, just waiting that. for his ride to arrive. I mean, yeah, exactly. we know that it wasn't no, Steve yeah. because Steve had an excellent relationship with his dad to the point that his dad like put out the the and made a studio a studio in his own basement to record the tapes that they then went on selling. Like created his own recording yeah. studio for these for these teens that wanted to have this career. Wow. So that that takes a pretty good relationship It'd with be, your kid. It'd be pretty rude if that was the great providing that they're talking about. <laughs> like nuts to you, man! Thanks for helping us record our album. Our road's wider from here on out. Wow, you guys are jerks! Wow. Oh wow! I don't even know where to go with that. Holy cow! <laughs> Well, we said it's not oh, okay. that, so yeah, man. we're okay. Oh. I'm not saying it is. I really like your take on Adam, though, because it really does make a lot more sense with that with the chorus. Which, Well, I love the fact that Andrew tied it into these apples. I completely forgot about that. It's almost like a book ending in mm. that case. So it's really, I think, heck, let's let's go down that road. I think that, let, yeah, we, we have agreed that that's what it's about. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Ed, if you're out there, that's what you wrote. Thank you. We have another really great thing that happens we, lyrically in this song that, that sometimes we forget about, but it adds so much of that little bit of flavor to the song. And it's the in the chorus, which is very simple. It's one line. Where does the time go when it's not around here? We have the call and answer in the background of I Don't Know being sung by Stephen. Where does the time go when it's not around here? But it's very faint. And if you listen to it, like, oh, wow, wow that's kind of neat. You have that call and answer. So do you think that Steve is embodying the dads uh, or the gods or the whoever's point of view on that? Or is it just kind of a lyrical I thing? don't know. I, uh, funny enough. Um. I don't know either. <laughs> well, I was going to say you could even look at it from both their points of view because from his point of view, it's an authentic question from the from the younger of the two is uh, the son. It's the idea that he legitimately, if he's asking it, or even if he is being snarky about it, where does the time go when it's not around here? Cause I don't know. I've never been anywhere else, but then on the flip side, yeah. but when the dad says it, it's literally from that speaking as guys, we're not getting any younger here, but 
speaking from that point of view of where does the time go? My God, it was only yesterday you were 10 or 5 or whatever. So it's the dad literally saying, how the heck are you going to town now? <laughs> like, what the heck is going on here? So yeah. it could yeah. be both. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the Trixie Mattel song, Little Sister, where she says, Tell me, little dear, if you only lived here, did you really ever live at all? Shout out to Trixie Mattel. <laughs> so let's switch over. If you, guys, if you guys don't have anything more to say about this song lyrically, let's switch over to the music for a minute. So we don't have Aaron this week. Um... But what I did find was that on TuneBat.com, it says that it's a G major song at 93 beats per minute. Um, and you know who's the big G major? God. God Guy up G, above. G major. Right. Yeah, that, nice. Yep. The most major G <laughs> of all. Doing it all for Biggie. <laughs> um, so some interesting playing in here. We got Andy on keyboards and p- electric piano, of course. Um, we've got Jim on bass. We've got Steven on backing harmonies. We got Tyler on drums. I thought I heard a wood block in there a couple times somewhere. Um, but it could have just been Tyler hitting the, the sticks together. And then Ed is playing the acoustic guitar, but he's also playing the mandala. So the mandala is similar to a mandolin. And I'm going to put in here on our liner notes a video that tells the difference between the three, uh, between a mandolin, a mandala, and an octave mandolin. But you had something that you wanted to add in there, Andrew. Yeah, I I was trying to think of of the different parts of the music here, but for me, I I think the keyboard really deserves, like, the MVP here. Like, it's, it's a really beautiful kind of Spartan acoustic song for a lot of it, but just that little... That I suppose Andy Cregan is putting in mm-hmm. on on an electric keyboard set on organ mo- mode, uh, like it's it's just adds a really nice trill that really sounds maybe you should drive like it, yeah. it sounds like kind of a washed out, yeah. uh, uh, tired sound that really serves the song well. It makes me think of, and this is going to seem a bit odd, but. It makes me think of the music that plays when the kids are walking anywhere in Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can't think. And that's not an insult. It's just that it makes me think. That's beautiful music. Yeah, it makes me think small town kids doing things. And I just. Just a I, small town kids. <laughs> but, but I hear that little. <laughs> sorry. I hear that little twiddle and it's, kind, it's groovy too. That's the other thing I like about it. Because otherwise this song is very, very acoustic, very almost almost a touch of twang like i also love it in the in the bathroom sessions when he does all the picking all the touches mm-hmm. and when he does you really see his country roots yeah and yeah that stuff, but yeah. the harmonics too it's just beautiful so i love all that but then while he's doing all that that little bit of groovy piano just kind of slides in and just kind of smooths everything out oh. so i like that andy's mm-hmm. andy's playing in here is just very sparse it's in there but it adds that little touch of andy flavor that i miss after this and the sad thing is this is the last time we get to hear andy until snack time like this this is our last flavor of andy and and he really does add to this song and a lot of like just little tiny things in behind like it's the difference between having spaghetti sauce with garlic in it or not having garlic in it that garlic adds like just that bit of flavor you don't have to put a lot in there but just a little if bit. If only they'd just give him one more tiny little song. <laughs> <laughs> How about something that wasn't tiny little song, but was a tiny little song? <laughs> Either way. We'll get the tiny little song someday, but ooh, yeah. In like 10 years, yeah. yeah. But I, I love the... Because obviously in listening to and talking with Andy recently, um, really like love the brothers Cregan stuff not a big mm. fan of tiny little song so or little tiny song can can you tell him that we are i yes. will i will tell him that <laughs> that was basically my anthem in in high school we were singing that all the time you know we were just <laughs> yes we were <laughs> that's an interesting sound to go around Between singing that. every day we just look at it yeah. oh my god we, we just like get out of class or something come down a hall look at each other and go <laughs> it was a great time. 
What a time to be alive. That, you tell him. That or we broke into three-part harmony for Enid. That was pretty great. Or the three-part thing. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I want to get back to this song, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, Okay, we fine. We don't want to sing Enid? Let's do that right now. <laughs> There's, There's less, less cows, cows in this song. song. Um, not And less cowbell, but that that's be, beside the point. Mm. Um. Could use more. I thought this song sounded a lot like a mixture between The Last Dance of Mary Jane by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And also Hmm. Sonny Came Home from Sean Colvin. It's got flavor. So, God, I love that song. So, yeah, I'm gonna That's I'm gonna place bits of that in here, and then I'm gonna place the beginning of the song in here. Because I could like listening to this week, I was getting pieces and parts of both. I think part of it is the bass that I'm hearing, and part of it is that acoustic guitar that I'm hearing, and the blend of them matches so well yeah sean colvin's a few small repairs was a really great era of music yeah i'll die on that hill (laughs) that's not you don't have to die on that hill i think we all agree with you on that one (laughs) yes i didn't really want to die on the hill i was bluffing you were wounded but we pulled you down the hill slowly that's fine that's more than enough um it's interesting there's a jazzy breakdown in the middle of the song like, just right smack in that dab in the middle. They just kind of like, all right, let's just kind of riff for a little bit. Which they don't do in a lot of their songs. But for some reason, it is in here. It's not in the bathroom sessions. But it's definitely in there for the, the studio mm. recording. Um, and I, I haven't listened enough to the Buck Naked version to, to tell if that's in there as well. But I want to say that it that it probably isn't, I'm going to guess. Because it sounds like that's probably where Jim... And Steven got their credit for this part of the song. What did you say the other instrument that Ed was playing was? He's playing the mandala. I wonder if that's where, like, the opening chord comes from. Because it almost sounds like... it's It sounds much tinnier than an acoustic guitar. Uh, it, yep. it sounds almost like a little yep. harp or something like that. That must be what that is. That probably is it, yep. Okay. Now, don't get me in the bathroom sessions he does a great imitation of it on the guitar with his little you could just do it on the top of a guitar yeah 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 but it does sound like an imitation but, yeah. interesting yeah hmm. um hmm. <laughs> the other thing i really like about this is you get the symbols that lead into that next verse it's very sparse it's just kind of like and then they go into that next verse yeah. that's something hmm. they don't use a lot throughout their songs and it's kind of cool it's just a dash of Tyler for you. <laughs> yeah. You want some, one of, have some garlic? Here's a bit of salt. <laughs> yeah. How about one of these? <laughs> I have to say my favorite part of the whole song, though, is that bass blend that happens just before he says, Great Provider. To the Great Provider. It's haunting. And it leaves you with this mm-hmm. very bittersweet, kind of haunted feeling leaving the end of the song going into the outro. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is where I hear, well, it's, I, I agree with Andrew that it's very unique to this album. Like a lot of the sound here is, is that I hear some of it on Pirate Ship too, depending on which song you're talking about. It's just that you're absolutely right about what you said. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about this now. I think some of the groove is gone because the, they've, they're missing a pianist as simple as that yeah they're missing andy you know and I think there's a hole in in pirate ship for sure a oh shaped yeah. hole that yeah. jim is trying to fill with double the cregan uh yeah. which is and great, you, don't, but... you don't get at that point yeah. you don't have kevin filling in and bringing all the flavors that he brings in which right. it's not the same as andy because andy also brings in a lot of really great percussion stuff and yes, he, yeah. you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever saw the interview with Jeff Jeff's musical car, but he really 
Andy was the tactician. Like he would like Stephen would come in with this song where he was like, you know what, we're gonna go with this Latin beat and this Latin sound. And he was like, all right, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go listen to all these different Latin beats. Okay, we're gonna find a way to make this work. And he would sit there in the studio, like learning how to play each of these different instruments and playing it in a certain way and trying out different rhythms. Like that was what Andy did. And that's the flavors that you miss on the third album yeah. is like, okay, you got Tyler on the drums doing the rock beat, but you, on, on the first two albums, you really do have Andy like bringing in like this other flavor in the background with the other beats. Yeah. And you're right that like, they, they don't really get that balance back until Kevin comes in and, but then it's, it's a different sound. It's an equally great sound, but it's a different sound that, that progresses in the post stunt yeah. kind of era. Yep. And, and it's not until I would say even after stunt, probably closer to like everything to everyone, that you finally get Tyler really starting to play around with more of the percussion at that point. I think. Oh yeah, I mean I, I'm on record as saying like like it's snack time and army, and and I'm full in on those two as like the peak bare naked ladies albums. If you melded them together. <laughs> You would be listening for a very long time, but it would be great. Uh, Sorry, did I kill the conversation with that Snack Time thing? It's still a good album, guys. I know it's just for kids. No, no I actually really like Snack Time. So It was too big a comment. We just couldn't follow up. That was it. I, I, I was trying to find the next transition. <laughs> we haven't talked a lot about the bathroom sessions version. You did mention it a little bit, Justin. It's very cut down, bare bones type of thing he is playing differently with the guitar in that especially with the ending like he does this really interesting ending with yeah with that um which isn't in the regular song I tried to pull it apart to listen like through all the other instrumentality that's in there. And it's not in the background. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that he's got this different way of ending the song, which I actually kind of wish he had blended in with all the other stuff. Hmm. Uh, but I really hmm. miss the that's keys. Why I wondered if it might've been the mandala or something like that, like Andrew said, mm. because there's just, there was this, there was this weird, and he might even be just adding it because I noticed that, this same sound that he's making there, I've heard before on other albums later than this mm. one. Yeah, I, I think we have been through this before. Yeah. On the bathroom mm. sessions you one, though, the one thing that's stark, there's two things that are starkly missing. Hmm. Steven's harmonies, which are gorgeous throughout this song, mm. and the bass. Mm -hmm. Like, the bass really drives the haunted feeling of this song, and it's missing with the bathroom sessions. Yeah. And maybe you should drive is a haunted album. Mm. You know, it's it's a sad album and it and it really knows that. And even the happy songs like have this kind of touch of of that that haunting to them and, yeah. and that's what makes it great, you know. Even even the pop ones, for lack of better words, the ones that went out and, you know, became popular amongst people, all of them are about things gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I agree 100%. I would also say, as much as I agree that it's the bass that's kind of giving it that undertone, I still think the groovy piano from Andy is also missing. Because that little, that little moment... I, I listened to the bathroom take before I went back to listen to the album and the bathroom session. And when I did, I, the very first thing I noticed was, oh yeah, there's an organ in this. Uh. And, it, and it was just kind of like, it was like a fog floating over the song. I was just like, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> No, and that's the only thing I have yeah. to say about that. And that's all I have to say about that. Like a velvet fog. <laughs> velvet fog. I think that's the tops. So. Uh, <laughs> um, some some interesting song facts here. Both men that were on the cover of Maybe You Should Drive had guest appearances on the original Star Trek series. Yeah, and How, the, the only reason I knew that is because when Maybe You Should Drive came out, that was one of their first enhanced CDs, and it had that like like pre-internet interactive website-looking thing where you could click on stuff, and one of the things was Ed gleefully saying the guy one of the guys from our cover was in Star Trek, but they never explained where he was. Do you know where he was in Star Trek? 
I don't know, and that, nor can I find their names because I tried to look it up this week. I was like, all right, I want to find the episodes, I want to see the characters, and I can't anywhere find the names of who these people were. They've they buried it really well. They're probably in one. What if one of them was the Gorn? Oh man, that'd be great. <laughs> I think I recognize the the guy who's standing. I don't remember. No. I, I can't tell because I mean you are talking at that point twenty years have gone by, so actually more probably closer to thirty. Yeah. So. But when all those Klingons came back on Deep Space Nine that time, by the way, we're talking about Star Trek. You have a Star Trek podcast now. When all those Klingons came back on Deep Space Nine, only they were in modern Klingon makeup instead of classic, but they were the original Klingons, Kor, Kang, and Kolos, I think. When they came back, they totally looked exactly the same, even though they were in very heavy makeup. So I I think it's possible we could have recognized these guys. (laughs) Well, now you have to go back, relook, and see if you can spot them. All right. You're giving me an excuse to watch original series Star Trek. Challenge accepted. Yes, I am. I'll be- All right, cool. That's great. I'll back and then you have to give us the names yes. once you figure out who it is. Deep dive. I'll give you names. I'm not a traitor. Mine's Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. Whatever, Senator <laughs> McCarthy. You can keep your lists. <laughs> um, so this song has been played 72 times in concert. Oh. Um, first time it was ever played was March 3rd, 1993. So once again, before this album came out, they were playing it in concert. But after Gordon. Um, it was, yes, after, uh, yeah, after Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, once again, they weren't playing this, even though it was on, either that or they weren't letting, like, it wasn't anywhere in set list FM. Like, maybe they didn't have any other, like, way of knowing what else was in there. Uh, prior to Gordon and what they were playing in the small concerts before that mm. point. Um, but it says in here that the first concert was in 93. Uh, the latest one was in 2013. So they haven't played this song in five, almost, well, no, six years. I'm so surprised they played it that recently. That's great. <laughs> it's odd, though, because it's a fully Ed song. And so the, uh, you know, the, the Steve Exodus, the the turning of the page... Uh, wouldn't have any particular impact on on this song in terms of its performance, except for a very small part. Yeah. Hmm. Turning of the page. Thank you. Yeah, you can use that one if you want. (laughs) But the page, I I think that the song is not the same without Stephen's voice. Like Kevin tries a lot on a lot of songs where Stephen's providing harmonies to fill that spot, but Kevin's voice is not the same as Stephen's. Are you saying he's not as great a provider? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, of harmonies. I actually wondered does does Tyler provide a lot of harmony as well from time to time? Now that they are the way that they are, I've always wondered. No, it's usually it's usually Kevin and and. Jim in concert yeah. when they're doing the harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler does a lot more of the like, I'm going to get up there and be bombastic and silly and, and still do a really good job on this song. But it's, The uh, devil you say. <laughs> He's going to be silly? <laughs> it's the part we love from him. Yes. I have our two last notes about this. Um, one, I love how the song starts on a single note of the keys, the bass, and the drum all just boom. Yeah. That one single note that you were mentioning earlier, Justin, yeah. that starts the song and then it just kind of fades and you get these couple of tinklings in the background, but it's still holding on to that still that first note for a good five, ten seconds. It's weird to say when the image popped in my mind when I was hearing all of that happen, again, very similar to how he manages to somehow do it with When I Fall. And I'm going to keep going back to that because I find the guitaring in that is very similar. Um, I started picturing mm. like you're outside with porch swings and and wind chimes going on like i i literally Mm. felt like i was looking at a scene from like you're outside on charlie brown's front step or something i'm i'm being very sincere about this like yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the bass (laughs) (laughs) i mean charlie brown music you know that that vince guaraldi trio is is also very morose kind of down note jazz and and that's what this album is too and especially this yeah. song is very jazzy. Well, I think that's the part that Andy brings to this. I mean, anyone who's listened to the Brothers Cregan knows that that's, that's their major forte. That's what they love to lean back on is that jazz. 
And I, you listen to the original, and it's not jazzy. It's kind of country. And when when uh, Ed plays it in the bathroom sessions, it's also very country um, rock kind of blend, but not jazz. Mm. Um, that that I think mm. is all Andy bringing that in. Oh, not Andy. Sorry, Jim. But I think also Andy. He Andy doesn't get credit, but like I think Andy and Jim. I think Tyler too do a lot of that. Tyler's Tyler's percussion, especially at the beginning there, after that initial like plink. With that note holding on, you can really hear like, yeah, tss, so, tss, yeah. like he's 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 really bringing it through in in a nightclub-y sound mm. that you can yeah. see on a jazz album, which is odd for him because usually he doesn't do jazzy. He usually is very he's very focused on yeah. Rock. forceful, yeah, and forceful, yeah. And I, and I I didn't I don't know if I'll end up asking Andy about that because I don't want to make him feel uncomfortable. But he's said many times that the band didn't go in the direction he wanted. He wanted to kind of go in the direction of Brothers Creek and and the difference really and and he didn't get to explore the percussion the way that he had wanted to. Reading between the lines, I get the feeling that that is pretty much him kind of saying and in books is kind of said in in Paul Meyer's book like he was kind of tamped down once Tyler came into the group. You know, he was the percussionist Makes beforehand, sense. and then Tyler came in with this big bombastic rock kind of direction. Mm. And I'm sure that he felt pulled back away from the jazzy type of sound that he tends to want to provide. Yeah, well, with all the yeah. squeaky greasing of the inside of a bongo drum, exactly, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Which is sex. That's the part I love that he added in. Yeah. I mean, it's the part of Guster that I love <laughs> listening to. It's the part I liked in early B&L, so I, I do miss but that. But jokes aside, yeah. And it's the problem with co- collaboration, too. Like, that's why Steve said that he was leaving as well. It's that, you know, it wasn't going in the direction that he would have liked, but it's a collaboration, so he felt that it wasn't his place to just push it the direction he would have liked, so he figured the best thing would be to go. But what's what's too bad about that is that you've got all these guys, and I get that totally, but you've got all these guys with all these really brilliant ideas for where they want it to go. Um, you know, in an ideal world, it would have been cool to say, okay, this album, we're going in Steve's direction. And then next album, let's bring it back and let's yeah. see what Andy's got. If he's got an idea, yeah. let's do that for a couple or, of songs, you know? And it's too bad that that didn't work. Or even like, we're going to each bring in this much into each. So we're going to have four of your kind of song on this album. We're going to have four of your kind of song on this album. We're going to have four. We're going to blend them in. We're going to have mixes. Of, like that's what it would have sounded really great. Yeah. It would have been really cool. I think that's kind of what happened. I think that's kind of what happened with Pirate Ship, personally, because you had those smatterings of bits and pieces all across. Because you had an obvious Steve song and an obvious Ed song, then a Jim song out of bleeding nowhere. <laughs> yeah, Jim is is carrying like he's punching way above his class on Pirate Ship, which is is a great part of that album, you know. Yeah, and that's why I yeah. think that that's their. If nothing else, I know they've had more than this, but it was their first experimental album where they started thro- throwing mm-hmm. things at the wall and just seeing, well, what else can we do? Which is unfortunate that they started doing that when Andy left. So, yeah. there right. it is. <laughs> and because of Andy leaving, really. Oh, I agree. Yeah, maybe. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and that was also when Steve was kind of experimenting with, with medications, so he was kind of trying to get through his stuff. Ed was also dealing with his stuff at the time. He had a lot of uh, personal stuff that was going down for him at that time. So both Ed and, and I think Ed was exhausted from the last tour. So Ed was taking more of a backseat and resting. Steven was kind of dealing with his depression and medications and deciding how that was all going to go. He was having his war on drugs. And then Jim's like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to be the one that kind of pushes this and, and I'm missing my brother. So I'm going to fill that void. Yeah. Wow. Now I'm sad. Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> There's one other thing I really love about the song, and it's it's what they do really well is they they make their songs very programmatic at times, and this is an example of it when the car is leaving after he said his final goodbye, the song fades out right. eventually, and it's like the car driving down the road slowly losing sight of yeah. dad. It's a it's a very tonally picture making song that's why i like about it so much i mean i'm sincere when i say what i said i mean you can just picture the whole scene happening to the music of this song it's beautiful mm-hmm. they're painting a scene they really are all right guys so i'm turning to you to see if you have any last words 
Uh, my last word is that th- there was a lot more to this song than I thought. Like, I really wanted to be on this episode because this is such an incredible song. But uh, when, like, I did, not even when I got deep into this song, when I did a modicum of paying attention to this song, suddenly it exploded with all of this richness. So uh, just kudos to the folks that put it together. You can tell why this is such a classic album here. Yeah. The only thing I would add is I went into this song forgetting it was there. I'm just going to be honest. Not because it was a bad song, but I had to go back and find the album and just kind of like put actually get my CD out and actually play it. I was like, oh, this one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, And then you're just listening to it, and then you're like, I should listen to that again. And then you... It's mm-hmm. one of those songs very similar to, it's an I always call it an in betweener. It's a moving song. It's a beautiful song, but I always call it because you had your Jane, you yeah. had your. It's not the it's first a, song you think of on the album. It's not like tiny little no. song where you're just singing yeah. it everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, <laughs> and using it as a as a as a, a form of a secret code to say hello. But no, but it's it was a beautiful capper to the to the album as well. Just it's a shame I forgot about it, mm. and I'm glad that I revisited mm. it. So if nothing else, thanks for that. <laughs> glad I'm here mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what we're gonna go with for a rating on this. I've been bashing my head here trying to figure it out. Um, I think what we should say here is that no matter how much we've put onto it. You know, no matter how deeply we've dug into the song, we shouldn't grade it on what we've sort of put onto it ourselves. <laughs> like just because right. I think it's deep doesn't mean it's any more or less a song about a guy leaving home. But I mean, the stuff is there. It's no. still it's still a, a very figurative song, even if the intention was just to have it a very straight song. You know? Yeah. Um, I I think that we should rate it on on a scale of uh, of the Trinity, <laughs> on a scale of one to three. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's gonna throw off my computer program i know right <laughs> well, what, what? um how about we go by how many how many years how many years since we're talking about where does the time uh, go when we're not around here how many years do you give this song out of out of what out of how many years Z- zero to five okay. zero to five like I said, I'm I'm embarrassed enough to say that I had to remember the song before I could appreciate it. But it's a beautiful song, so it's rough. I'm gonna give it a three point seven five. Are we doing points? Can we do points? Seven five. Can I do that? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can definitely do. Points. I don't want to give it a full four because a four is. Ty- Tyler gave it. Tyler gave it pi a few weeks ago. Thanks to him, we had to go out like ten digits. Jeez. So. Um, <laughs> So three point seven five, you said. Yeah, because I don't want to give it a full four, and it ain't a. It's not a five to me because I don't remember it well. Right? Yeah, like five is like Brian Wilson. Four is like a classic song that isn't necessarily your favorite, like Old Apartment or something like that. But this, but this one is beautiful. But it's not one that I would think, oh, please put that on right now. I need to hear it. You know, but it's beautiful. So I'm going to give it a three seventy five. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. St- Andrew, what do you? I'm gonna giving? stick with my Trinity idea, I, and I'm gonna give it a three point five. So, uh, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and also Ed uh, as a point five for writing about him. Uh, I think, yeah, I, it's it's an incredible song and on an incredible album, and it deserves to be up there as high as this album. But it's not necessarily the greatest songs song off the album. Not for any fault no. of its own, just because there's incredible songs on the album. So yeah, yeah, I'll I'll put it like in the upper middle range. That's fair. And I've been struggling with this song. It, it, this is one of those ones I've gone up and down my ratings list all week long. Um, this song grew on me the more times I listened to it. This is one of those songs I had listened to once about twenty years ago, and it dropped off my radar. And then the more times I listened to this week, it really became much more powerful to mm. me. I still wouldn't listen to it much because the su- subject actually resonates with me a little too much in a negative way. Right. Um, I, I still have my own baggage uh, related to my my family, and so do, you, do you have a ghost? It, it really, definitely. <laughs> grew up with a haunted house. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, and so for that reason, I wouldn't listen to it, but I think it's a beautiful song. I think it does exactly what it's supposed to be doing. I love it. I actually really enjoy the song. It's just hard for me to listen to. So for that reason, going up and down the ratings, comparing it to other stuff, I have to give it a 4.15. Wow. All right. Solid. All right. Yeah. I, I was looking this week. I have to say that I like it more than like a Okay, but you... You wouldn't say that you liked it the most. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wouldn't say I liked it the most. <laughs> Guys, plugs, where can people find you? Well, you can find us at Monster Squad Minute. Uh, we have a clubhouse, which you can find us on Facebook. Come on over and talk to us all about our, your ghoulish uh, memories of the 80s and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and... And we talk to the cast of Monster Squad, and we have a great time. And you can also find us, uh, mostly me, but occasionally Justin, over at No Time for Heroics, where we've got 100 episodes with 100 uh, superhero movies that we go through and, uh, and and talk about those. And maybe more. And maybe more someday. <laughs> someday. I, I was going to say, like, both of those are, are done. Like, it, does that mean that your road is narrowing while since BNL is making their new album, ours just is expanding? <laughs> well, in, in theory, you can also find me at, at uh, VOCM Lunch Bunch if you're very interested in local Newfoundland content. But, uh, <laughs> uh, which is a daily show uh, five times a week. But otherwise, uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the road has narrowed for those two particular shows, but only because Monster Squad is a finite property and, and we finished it all. So it's it's a complete package. And until I can convince them to do another movie, well, we're just going to have to wait and see. If only somebody would make another movie. But alas, no more movies will ever be made. Never. They've all, they've all been made. They've it's all been more. done. Before. <laughs> so building on this week's religious theme which i mean i knew going into this that it had a direction that may go that way next week we're also going to have a semi-religious song um aren't you guys green with envy is it onward christian soldiers <laughs> <laughs> i knew it bring, bring of home? no <laughs> Next week we're going to be discussing Green Christmas. Oh, oh. <laughs> only about a month too late. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, we were on God Rest You Merry Gentlemen and had some rough things to say about that album, but this is <laughs> one of the songs from that album. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's uh, sure, that's Andrew's yeah, hot this, take. <laughs> this sure was useful for the Grinch. <laughs> It was great in the Grinch. I mean, it might be the second best song on on Bare Naked for the Holidays. Oh my! Maybe that's that's an interesting take. Okay, Dem's fighting voids. I don't remember what else. The, the problem is, I don't remember anything about that album except for "God Rest You Married Gentlemen." Well, so. to be fair, the, perhaps one of the best written by them songs. How about we say that? As okay. opposed to a classic, is that fair? Whoa. I'm not. I'm going to disagree with you because of Elf's Lament. I absolutely think Elf's Lament was amazing, but uh, but you'll have to wait till next week to see what I think about about Green. Aww, so. come on, <laughs> come on. So thank you guys. We'll be your friend. <laughs> You're not already. Oh Let's shoot! Oh, harsh. <laughs> Quick, get the card. Uh, Tracy, Tracy, since you're the only actual host of the show here, I should tell you. We like you the most. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. I was just going to ask, are you going to say that you don't like we me do the like most? We do like you the most. But if anybody asks, we never said that. Okay. I don't know if anyone's going to ask that considering Aaron and Michelle haven't been back for a while. So I, I do want to say thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate it. I love having guests on. Uh, otherwise, it would just be me speaking to myself, which would be very boring. Uh, it's great to have you. And you guys are always great with your opinions. And it, you always bring a lot of insight. So thank you so much. Thanks. We'll come on anytime. Except Thursdays. Thanks for having us. Except yeah. Thursdays. Yes, no. Join us next week for Green Christmas and have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thanks, that was fun. Don't forget, no regrets. Except maybe one. All right, I'm going to unplug this so we can all hear it.
It's beautiful. Hold on, hold on. Let me do this. Because <laughs> we're getting horrible, horrible feedback here. Um, oh, it's classic. <laughs> oh, God. I love this song. <laughs> I'm going to send you guys the link and we can each listen to it on our ends. Mighty. I should have seen that coming. Oh, wait. Feedback is a thing? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.